0: Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. So he already gave away where my accent's from. It'll it'll get thicker the longer I'm up here. Uh... (laughs) So I come from a a church, you got it right, it's spelled Maryville, but we pronounce it Merville because we're from the southeast, Uh, and you probably already picked up on my accent. I was really rudely reminded of my accent a few days ago. I've been in California for about five days now, and I was meeting with our regional leader of the vineyard here in Central and Southern California, uh, Mike Safford, and I'd been talking for a few minutes, and uh, he got a weird grin on his face, and I was like, what's going on, Mike? And he said dude, you're so neck. And I didn't, I'd never heard that before. I assume it's short for redneck. Uh, And I was like, what? He said, oh man, you're just so neck. Like I love your accent. And I was like, wow, that's very hurtful. Thank you, Mike. Uh, So yeah, ministry time afterwards, I need people to come and, and pray for me. I'm obviously pretty disturbed from that incident. Hey, it really is good to be with you guys. Uh, What a sweet congregation, man. This is incredible. Like I said, I I come from right outside of Knoxville, and our vineyard church over there, we have a a small building. I've got a great congregation, but a small building, so we have three services. And so we have, like, back-to-back-to-back. You get people in, you get them out, you get in. And here, it's just laid back. I love it. Uh, I'm just going to go another two hours, if that's okay with you guys. Didn't get any amens, so I suppose I won't do that. Hey, I am going to just jump right into it here. Um, as Ron said, and Ron, thanks for having me out, and, and Steve, uh, got to know Steve a little bit over this last year. Uh, I appreciate getting the chance to come out here. I'm going to talk some about missions, but really more about being incarnational. I'll get to that in just a minute, how we can actually live on mission right where we're at. Um, the reason I want to share that with you this morning is, uh, as Ron mentioned, you know, we lived as missionaries in Haiti for a few years and saw God do some incredible things. And then we came back and we really had a heart to go and work with unreached people groups, primarily in West Africa. And so we started doing work there and saw God do incredible things. And we continue to be involved in a lot of that kind of stuff. But just over the last season of my life, God has really... I, I think impressed upon me to focus right where I'm at. You know, Jesus had something interesting he said to his disciples right before he went to be with the Father. He's, he said in Acts 1.8, hey, you need to start in Jerusalem, that was right where they were at, and then go to Judea and Samaria, that was the region around them, and then go to the ends of the earth And I felt really convicted in my own life because my wife and I had done a lot in the ends of the earth, but now we were stationed back in East Tennessee and we live in this this neighborhood with lots of people around us, and we just weren't doing a lot with our neighbors. And we felt really convicted about that. And so, what I'm gonna share with you today is missional, but I wanna talk about Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria a little bit today. Um, I wanna talk about a concept called thin places. This is going to maybe sound strange. Anybody ever heard of the Celtic term thin places? A couple of you. Okay. Let me explain what the ancient Celts had this idea of thin places. And their idea was this, that there seemed to be places on planet earth where the veil between heaven and earth was really thin. So, uh, worship leader a little bit ago, I loved what he was talking about majesty and he was talking about sunsets. Those could be a thin place, a place where it just feels like the divine is breaking in upon us. You ever been to a place like that? Uh, I think there are places like that all across planet Earth. Here in uh, beautiful Southern California, you've got a lot of places like that. So those could be thin places. Um, other examples are not just places, but events. Let me tell you, when our first child, Ellie, who's now 12, when she was born, it was a thin place in the hospital room. There was something divine, almost magical, that seemed to be happening. My heart was overflowing to the, point, I thought it was going to explode. It was a thin place. I just felt the beauty and the divine aspects of God in the room in that moment. You ever been to an event like that? I think God's created a thin place here. It already strikes me that you guys experience God in a really intimate level. This can be a thin place. So it can be a place. It can be an event. Scripture gives us lots of ideas of thin places. So in the Old Testament, maybe you're familiar with places like Mount Sinai, where Moses would actually meet with God and have these experiences and encounters with God. It was a thin place. And Moses uh, also experienced God at the burning bush. What a weird, thin place where the voice of God said, I am that I am, coming out of a burning bush, It was a thin place. There are lots of examples. The Holy of Holies uh, in the temple would be another example of like a thin place. And maybe even more mysteriously in the Old Testament, you got the Garden of Eden, where literally Adam and Eve are walking and talking with God in the garden. What must that have been like? A thin place. Um, You got them in the New Testament too, but let me tell you about a couple of my thin places. One of them is my home office. So we, we moved into the house we're in about three and a half years ago. And it is a quiet place where I can shut the door and have quiet times with Jesus. And Jesus has met me right there in my home office. It's become a thin place for me. Uh, Ron mentioned I come from East Tennessee. We have the beautiful Smoky Mountains. And I love hiking. I've hiked almost every trail in the Smokies. And there are a couple places in particular that are just thin places. Now, you might be saying, well, Josh, that's all really interesting, thin places, but where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with it today and what I want to talk about for just a few minutes with you guys. I think Scripture gives us an idea that we can be thin places, that we can be thin places. You may be saying, well, well, that sounds really strange. What do you mean by that? Um, the Bible talks about us having the Spirit of God within us, that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And I want to flesh that more out in, in just a second. But listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? You know, the ancient Israelites had this understanding of heaven. And it's maybe a little different than what you think about. When you think about heaven, maybe you think about stuff that you see in, like movies and stuff, like, you know, harps and angels or whatever. And you probably have a little more sophisticated idea of what heaven's like. The Bible gives us all kinds of ideas and, and kind of points to ideas of heaven. But, but we still can't have this, like, really clear understanding. But the ancient Israelites, listen to what they thought about heaven. Their understanding was that wherever heaven is, God is. And wherever God is, heaven is. Heaven is the presence of God. That's how the ancient Israelites thought about heaven. Now, why am I saying that today? Because if it's true that you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and he has given you his Holy Spirit, the fullness of who he is coming into your life, that now you are a temple where the Spirit of God dwells. And if, stay with me, Where God is, heaven is, and where heaven is, God is, then could it be that the power of heaven resides in you? Isn't that interesting? You might be a thin place. Here's why that's interesting. Because when I go to the coffee shop in the morning, the power and the presence of God, not because of who I am, I'm nothing special, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me and entered into me, now the presence of God goes to the coffee shop, and it goes to your school, and it goes to your workplace, and it is in your neighborhood, and yet it lies dormant for so many of us. The power of God lies dormant because we've forgotten what Jesus did, and the power that he gave. Amen, sister. Amen. Maybe today. You know what it means to live incarnationally? I said I was going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Jesus lived incarnationally. Here's what very simply what that means. Jesus was fully God and yet allowed himself to become fully man. He took on this stuff, skin, and he lived among us. Jesus did this. He took on flesh. He became like us. Let that sink in. Heaven took on flesh. Jesus is God, and where heaven is, God is, and where God is, heaven is. And Jesus, heaven himself, took on flesh and came and lived among us. And now those who follow Jesus and are filled with his spirit are called to live on mission as he did. Listen, little pockets of heaven invading the earth. That is what we are. Not because of anything we've done, because of what he has done. Now, this is a powerful concept, and you may be saying, well, that's some really flowery, pretty language. But what do we do with that? Well, that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. Dallas Willard said this. He said, we are built to live in the kingdom of God. It is our natural habitat. But many of us don't realize that that habitat is around us, that we have the power to enter in and live into that habitat. Uh, Here's a question that we want to consider today, okay? What are you and God doing together these days? That's a question I've been asking myself every day for this last season of my life. What am I and God doing together these days? How are we partnering with God's Spirit, which lives in us if we're Christians, to the, uh, and how are we partnering in the social networks that he gives us? All right, I'm going to talk about three quick things. Here's how we can be thin places. First, we can partner with the Holy Spirit by being thin places in the ordinary, the ordinary. I already touched on this a little bit. That means many of you are students. You go into your schools. The opportunity for you to be a thin place there exists. Many of you have jobs, some of which you don't even like your jobs, but you can be a thin place there. Some of you are stay-at-home parents. You can be a thin place there in the ordinary. Um, And so let me give you some ideas from Scripture and then a couple of examples of how I'm seeing this and some people I know. So Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. This is going to be Uh, Jesus talking here, and I'm going to use the message version because I love that version of this particular scripture. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, Jesus now called the 12, that's the disciples, and he gave them authority and power to deal with all the demons and cure diseases. He commissioned them to preach the news of God's kingdom and heal the sick. And here's what he said, don't load yourselves up with equipment. Keep it simple. You are the equipment. And I just would say this to Grace Vineyard Fellowship today. You are the equipment. You have everything you need because of the Spirit of God that lives in you to be a thin place in the social networks that you're a part of. Everything you need. You're the equipment. God could have done whatever he wanted, but he chooses to use us in profound ways. So so here's some examples of how I'm seeing this in people around me. There's One of my close friends, he he works in a mortgage investment company in downtown Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, He hated his job. He he could not uh, wait for the weekend, and he dreaded Monday mornings. Um, and just a few years ago, he really started uh, to be reawakened to who he was in Christ and some of the things that we're talking about today. In short, he started seeing himself as a thin place, and so slowly he would work in routine prayer into his life at work every day at this mortgage company, and he would start to look for ways to bless people, and he would start praying Uh, prayers of blessing over people, and on and on and on. He so much developed out his, what he called ministry, that people started reporting about the air in that environment changing. They said, what is going on? And he now has a ministry as a thin place in a mortgage company in Knoxville. And it's changing the environment. People are coming to Christ. This guy's incredible. He's nothing special. I mean, when you meet him, he's—he's he's not like a massive, like evangelist type. He's not—he's not really good with words. He just loves people really well and prays over them, and God starts to do things. He he's become a thin place in a mortgage company. <laughs> um, I had this friend. Uh, well, let me back up here. I, I'll tell you another. So my kids have had teachers that have been thin places. I, are we any teachers today out there? One, two, a couple of. Okay three of you. Uh, hey, teachers, kid grief, the opportunity to be a thin place. My kids have had teachers that have seen themselves as thin places. Uh, teachers that have just poured themselves into my kids, and it's changed my kids' lives. It's not just a job for these teachers. They have realized that the power of the Holy Spirit lives in them, and that they can radically affect young people's lives. My daughter had a coach. She She's played softball most of her uh, most of her short life and uh she had this one coach on this this parks and rec team and this guy it was a little league team this guy was he was different he coached her little league team called the Yankees boo i know we're in, are we in Dodgers Padres what are we Padres here okay go Padres <laughs> i'm sorry yeah, she, she, so she played for the Yankees, and this guy, over the course of the season, he was just different. Like, you have coaches, and then you have coaches. This guy, you could tell, was investing in these girls' lives, and I remember at the very end of the season, they had their little trophy ceremony, and and this guy, you could tell he put so much thought, because he had a long thing that he had written for every single girl, and I'm telling you, he proceeded to basically speak prophetically over every girl on the team. He got to my daughter. He was like, crying as he was talking to her. And what he said about her was spot on. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy saw himself as a thin place on a little league girls softball team. Wow. And some of the words that he spoke, I guarantee will change the trajectory of some of those young people's lives. Because he saw himself as a thin place. Nobody else thinks like that on little league girls softball teams. This guy did. Did. I found out he was a Christian later, and and you could just tell it was oozing from him that he knew the power that was within him, not because of who he was, but because of the Holy Spirit within him. Uh, We try to do this in our neighborhood. Look, our family has really tried to start taking this seriously in the ordinary. We live on a street called Brooklyn Lane. There's 14 houses on our street, and it tees with crest above us. And we now see that as our parish. Uh, If nobody else is going to take the job of a priest, we're going to take ownership for the lostness in our community. We want to be thin places, and we want to teach our kids to be thin places, not just over in West Africa, but in good old East Tennessee, In the ordinary, all of us can do this. All of you, if you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ, it is not beyond any of us to be a thin place in the ordinary right where we're at. I wanna go to the next thing because we can be thin places in the ordinary and secondly, we can be thin places in the darkness. I love one of my favorite passages of scripture, John chapter one, verses one through five. If you've been in church for a while, you're very familiar with this. It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Listen to this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, something I want to point out here. You notice that the light isn't separated from the darkness. It's not this dualistic way of thinking about God. Rather, it says that the light shines into the darkness. That's important. That's important. We don't serve a God who just says, I'm going to sit on my throne and escape everything because the world is messy, but he throws himself into it. The light shines into the darkness, and we must be the same, being a thin place in the darkness. You know, a lot of people, uh, I've heard it said that a lot of people gaze at their problems but glance at God, but not so with us. We've got to be people that gaze at God, but we also glance at the problem. The problems aren't going to uh, tear us apart. They're not going to make us lose hope because if our gaze is on God, then our gaze is not on all the problems around us. And there's always going to be problems. There's always, listen, going to be darkness until Jesus comes and makes everything right again. There will be darkness, but we don't hide from it. We gaze at our God as we shine into the darkness. Um, Listen, another quote by Dallas Willard. This is kind of a wordy one. He said, The greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who, by either profession or culture, are identified as Christians, will actually become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. What Dallas Willard is saying here is the difference between cultural Christians and those who are true disciples and practitioners of Jesus is that cultural Christians tend to turn around and run when the darkness infiltrates their lives, but disciples jump in. (laughs) You see, that's different. We don't hide from the darkness. We shine into it. I want to say something that's a little difficult to hear. It's this. God wants to use you in the places and the environments that you try to avoid. Have any of those? (laughs) Look, I know people, uh, I look up to them. They don't run away from busted up marriages, but they speak into them. You know anybody like that? places, and busted up marriages. I know people that don't run away when difficult children come along, but they throw themselves into their lives. Look, uh, I've got kids, and my kids are pretty good kids, and they still are busted up and drive me nuts. But do you know some of the kids that are just so difficult? Blessed be the saints that don't run away from that kind of darkness, but shine into it. We're thin places where it's difficult, where it's hard, where it hurts, where it smells. We'll always have darkness in our neighborhoods and our towns here in Southern California. But living in fear or avoiding is not the way of hope, which is Jesus. And Jesus beckons us to follow him into the darkness and shine when all seems lost and hopeless tell a weird story real quick. Uh, I, a few years ago at the same time was mentoring two guys uh, internationally. Uh, They lived in Two separate countries overseas, and um, man, both of these guys—I just—they were rock stars. They were—they were like ministry machines. I just—I thought th- these guys are going to do incredible things for the kingdom of God, and both of them at just about the same time, uh, before they got married, got their girlfriends pregnant, both of them. And um, and I remember they both came to me in such shame because I—they I, knew I'd invested a lot in them, and and they said they said, "Oh, I just don't—I I, can't—I don't know what to do." And after praying, I felt the Lord just saying, walk deeply with these guys. I'm going to offer reconciliation in all the ways to both of them. And so I, I did, and and two things happened. One guy was too busted up with shame. He just couldn't lift his head up, and he ended up... Uh, walking away from me, walking away from his faith, walking away from the girl. He got pregnant, and, I, and unfortunately, I've fallen out of touch with him. And, and that's not to throw shame on this guy. It's just, it's, it's what happened. And the other guy entered into a season of reconciliation, repentance, um, went through all kinds of transformative things in his life. And he ended up Uh, being stronger than ever in his faith. He ended up getting married and now he's the father to two incredible kids. And that guy now has a a a church planting movement with over a thousand churches in it. True story. And I don't tell that story to throw shame on the one guy as if he was a failure. Here's, Here's why I tell that story today. Because there are people in the room right now that think because of the gnarly stuff in your life, God can't use you as a thin place. And I beg to differ. There are people in the room right now that either in the past or maybe even right now have substantial sin. Stuff that they would be so ashamed if anybody in the room knew about it. I think God wants to call you out today and raise you up and tell you that you can be a thin place. He will use and redeem your story a thin place in the darkness. One more thing about the darkness. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. Probably haven't. It's kind of an obscure story. This was a, a Moravian missionary hundreds of years ago named George Schmidt. Uh, back in the 1700s, he, he was a, a, a missionary that went down from Europe to South Africa. Uh, the Moravians have a really interesting uh, uh, tradition when it comes to missions. And um, so he was sent by Germany from a guy, maybe you've heard of, Dave, named uh, Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Uh, Zinzendorf, quite a name, yeah. Zinzendorf is a, a very actually famous uh, man that lived in Germany and, and um, did a lot of things to send missionaries and such out. Um, and so anyway, George Schmidt went down to South Africa, and his task was to get involved with the people called the Hottentots. Now, if you know anything about the Hottentots, especially in those days, these were some of the most backwoods, uh, uh, illiterate uh tribe members that you could ever imagine. Think of all your stereotypes when you think of, a, you know, the middle of nowhere in Africa, and that was the Hottentots. They, they had no interaction with the outside world. Uh, other South Africans turned their nose up to them, and George Schmidt was called to go there. And he lived there for seven years, and Only five people gave their lives to Christ during that time. He taught a few people how to read. And then persecution from the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa. Through persecution, he was forced out. And he left utterly dejected after seven years in the middle of nowhere giving his life. And 50 years later, the Moravians were allowed to send missionaries back, and so they sent this little team of people, and they went, and they visited the area where George Schmidt had served for seven years, and they asked... Did anybody, have you ever heard of a missionary named George Schmidt? He lived here years ago, and a few people said, yes, and you should especially talk to the little old lady that lives up on that hill. And so they went up, and they found the hut of this little old lady, and they knocked on her door, and she came out, and they said, have you heard of George Schmidt? And she said, yes. And they said, "Uh, uh, uh, are are you a Christian? And she said, yes. And I still have the Bible that he gave me, and she went, and she got the Bible, and she brought it over, and they said, wow. Uh, We were told that he... Uh, Taught a few people to read. Can you read that? And she said, "Not anymore." And they said, "Why?" She said, "My eyes are bad. I'm really old." But let me go get my granddaughter. And she went and she got her granddaughter. And that granddaughter came and read the word of God. And come to find out, there were a whole remnant of people who had come to faith in Christ, not only from the first generation, the five that he had led from to the Lord, but a whole group of people after that, and a half century later, in the middle of nowhere. Was a little pocket of heaven. Isn't that a great story? Because George Schmidt decided to shine in the darkness, to be a thin place where nobody, and look, there are places like that right here in Oceanside, places where nobody wants to show their face because it's dark and dirty and smelly and difficult. And may that not be so of us in the room. May we be thin places there. And the very last thing I want to share, uh, we, we talked about being thin places in the ordinary and thin places in the darkness. And and just very briefly, the third thing is being thin places in grief. And you may be saying, well, that's kind of a weird way to end. What do you mean by that? Um, You guys know the story of Lazarus, right? Pretty crazy story. Let me just read a little part of it here. Uh, in John chapter 11, um, it starts out talking about Mary. Uh, it says, well, excuse me, Mar- Martha had just gone and told her sister Mary that Jesus had showed up. Now, you know that Lazarus had already been dead. So Mary and Martha are the sisters of this guy named Lazarus, and Jesus was really good friends with them, and he had been away doing ministry. He was told that Lazarus was sick, and they said, come back, because they knew that Jesus could heal him, and he waited. And by the time he got back, Lazarus was dead, and they were, and Jesus said weird things. He was like, ah, she's just, he just, he's just, he's just Sleeping, and they were like, No, he's he's starting to smell. (laughs) And Jesus was like, It's it's gonna be okay. But then he meets his friends, Martha, and then in in the part we'll pick up in he he meets Martha's younger sister Mary, who's a good friend of his, and Mary's just tore up. So that's where we pick up in the story. It says, I'll start in verse 29. So Mary immediately went to Jesus. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. You ever asked yourself the question if Jesus knew what he was about to do, and spoiler alert, he raises him from the dead. If he knew what he was about to do, why is he weeping? That's, that's really strange. Why would he weep? I think, you know, there's lots of different answers for that maybe. But one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is I think God on a regular basis is weeping over the pain on planet earth. He knows he's going to restore. He knows that his kingdom will come in full, that it's not yet, but it one day will be. He knows, and yet he's weeping. And maybe, listen, maybe grieving is godly. Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today and being a thin place? Because when we enter into the brokenness and the hurt of the world, and don't just try to fix it, but grieve, we grieve, we cry with those who cry, we weep with those who weep, then we are being godly. Godly. We're doing as Jesus would have done. When is the last time you intentionally set aside to grieve? And not just in a reactionary way. It's a weird question. <laughs> Why did Jesus weep when he knew Lazarus was going to be resurrected? Perhaps because God grieves over the pain and the hurt of others. And when we grieve, we are being like Jesus, stepping into the hurt of the world, not Merely avoiding the pain, but grieving is godly. It is a thin place. And you may be saying, okay, I need a little more help understanding. Last story I'll tell today. I had this friend. He's maybe had one of the biggest influences in my life. We were buddies in high school. We ended up being college roommates together. And then we got married uh, pretty close to each other. And his name's Drew. And uh, he still lives pretty close to me back in East Tennessee, and after we got married, we both got pregnant about the same time. So my wife, Amanda, and I got pregnant with our first. Drew and his wife got pregnant with their first. And so uh, Drew, was gonna, they were going to have their baby first. And, and sure enough, the time came for the baby to be born, and clearly something was wrong. And the baby held on for three days. They had life started out to Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville, and the baby did not make it. And so my wife's about eight months pregnant. You can imagine the emotions we have. And, and it was just devastating. And we go to the graveside service. My wife with her big belly, eight months pregnant, and tons of people showed up to this outdoor graveyard overlooking the Tennessee River in Lenore City, right outside of Knoxville. And tons of people are there on the side of the hill because Drew had so many friends. And it's just quiet. And then Drew's family gets there, and Drew gets out of the car, and he... Reaches in to help his wife out, who's still recovering, of course. And then he reaches back in and he gets us this little casket. You ever been in a service like that? It's just the worst. (laughs) Gets this little casket and he carries it over to the hole in the ground. And he puts the casket down in the hole in the ground and it's just dead quiet. And then he looked up at all of us and he said, I hope you don't mind. I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to worship my God. And his dad handed him an old school boom box and he had a, a CD in there and it was that old Chris Tomlin song, uh, I Will Rise, I think is the name of it, a beautiful song. And he turns it up full blast and with one arm around his wife and the other arm up to heaven, he sinks to his knees beside the hole in the ground and he worships. And It was a thin place. It's a really thin place. Grieving is godly. We don't run from the darkness, and we also don't run from the pain. But as thin places with the Spirit of God in us, we shine into the places that God's called us to. The ordinary, the darkness, and the grief. And I'm going to ask the the band to come on up here. We're going to close our time with some ministry. A lot of a lot of ways we could go with this. Um, I don't want to exaggerate anything or manipulate anything. I just think that God already clearly, before I got up this morning, was doing a lot of stuff in the room. And I I know we got a ministry team that's going to come up. I'll be up here. i got my buddy Gary who might join for ministry up here. Put you on the spot. Um, Look, it could be nothing that I discuss today. If you need prayer for absolutely anything at all, here in a minute, we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to minister to some people. Uh, you can come to the front. You can stay where you're at. I know uh, the lady that was up here a few minutes ago said we can actually go and pray for people out in the seats, whatever the Lord might want to do. But, but here's a very simple invitation to prayer. Uh, many of you maybe are feeling called to awaken as a thin place. For some of you, it's in the ordinary. For some of you, maybe you felt convicted about being a thin place in your job or in your school or, or in your neighborhood. For some of you, you know, when I was talking about darkness, something came to your mind, and you know where God's calling you to, but you're scared. We want to pray with you. We want to lay hands on you. And some of you are grieving, or you know of someone that's grieving. Um, we want to pray for you. Maybe if it's you that's grieving, we want to just pray over you. We, we don't want to try to fix you. <laughs> we just want to minister to you and, and maybe weep with you. And some of you know some people that are grieving, Uh, and and you know you need to be a thin place there. So for any of those things, I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit. I'm going to step down here and kind of let the worship team do whatever it is they they do. Um, Come get some prayer, and let's just see what the Lord might want to do in the closing minutes here. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you have your way in this room? Would you just continue to minister to hearts for those who are not living as a thin place would this be a catalytic moment in their lives where they could awaken to what it is you want to do in them and through them so again i pray very simply holy spirit come and have your way jesus let your kingdom come We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.